February 15th, 2023. Uh, we're continuing in our uh, study of Moreh Nebuchim together. And in continuing uh, to develop this understanding, this uh, direction that Harambam has led us in through several passages in which Harambam's description, as we've termed it, last week's class was a little bit on the side of this larger conversation, but as we discussed, as we mentioned, fits in in the general philosophy. But what we've been discussing is this concept of Kedushah in the context of Harambam's uh, understanding of Judaism, of the world of existence itself. And over the course of many classes, uh, which began after the first several introductory classes, what we've noticed is a certain theme in Harambam's works, and that is that Kedushah is not per se inherent, it's not per se, some people might call it antic or ontological, it's not the essence of something, it's rather human's interaction, human's appreciation, human's engagement, human's building and crafting, which creates, quite literally, this entity known as Kedushah. That's not to say the further radical statement that it doesn't have any big word transcendental side. There's no divine in really it's all just a figment of humans. That's not to say at all, but it is to say that the sanctity, the Kedushah inherent to, or quote unquote inherent to, the Lashon HaKodesh is not per se because it's the divine language which was uh, embedded into our minds and uh, humanity's existence. Uh, rather, if you recall, it's because the language teaches us how to cleanse our minds, how to speak properly. It doesn't have foul language and inappropriate words. Uh, the Mikdash, which we talked about in the most recent class in this uh, context, Eretz HaKodesh, Eretz Yisrael, each of those in Harambam's vision, unlike per se Rabbi uh, Yehuda Halevi or Ramban Nachmani, is not that there's to a, lo- to a certain extent some sort sort of uh, inescapable reality there, which is called Kiddushah and sanctity. God chose it and it will never uh, disappear because it's uh, just there and we have to discover it. It's rather our involvement, our uh, fulfillment of, of will, of, of promise, of command, and, and in turn coming about, uh, as we mentioned in the context of Mishkan, there's that Midrash, which Harambam did inside, but Rabbi Soloveitchik did, if you recall, in which Kivyachol, the rabbis imagined Moshe turning to God and saying, seriously, you want me to craft a sanctuary, an abode for you? It's going to have to be the size of the universe and beyond, the infinite in size. And God says to him, it's not the way you think. Rather, I just need a few cubits here, a plank over there, and a little bit of fabric in uh, that corner. What sort of thing? And then, says God, I will be mitzamsim myself. I'll kind of squash myself. I'll bring myself in. Which is a description not so much of an inherent nature to Mishkan or Mikdash, other than you do your job, I'll dedicate, in fact, Parashat Terumah, Parashat Tetzaveh, Parashat Vayakel, Parashat Pikudet, to the crafting of the Mishkan, to the command and to the fulfillment of building the Mishkan. Can you imagine? It's not just the Korbanot and Sefer Vayikra, so to speak, the fulfillment of what we're doing there, so to speak. That's rather all the craftsmanship, the building it and bringing it about. And then a few pisukim at the end of the Shekhinah dwelling there, which was mentioned at the beginning as well. Uh, that's very telling. That's a very Maimonidean, Harambam type of vision. So in uh, today's class, what I'd like to do uh, further is, so we talked about, uh, let's call it Kedushat HaMakom, Kedushat HaLashon, in terms of speech. And uh, Makom was the land, was the sanctuary, the Mikdash, the temple, and so forth. I'd like to today 
after a bit of uh, uh, just uh, conclusion, concluding uh, statements in those past, on those past classes, I'd like to move forward to uh, Kedushat HaZeman. And what I mean by that is not only holidays, but more specifically Shabbat. What does it mean that Shabbat is a day of Kedushah? Don't get too nervous here. Uh, I will warn you already not to get too nervous because I will remind you there's a pasuk which is quoted in source number four, cited in source number four. So those words in and of themselves are, in my understanding, inescapable. You can't get around that. That says that God imbued the day with sanctity. It's a pasuk we read in last week's parasha as well. You have it in source number eight in which the Pasuk says, and so on and so forth, and then it says, So God imbued it, or sanctified it. Again, we'll have to define what that means, but lest you think that we're going to be in the exact same direction, or that Harambam, as it will be in Chilek Bet, and Perek Lamedalf will bring us in the identical direction, it won't be so, but, as you might predict, he's going to have to put his own spin on it, and inject human involvement in order to get to the essence of that day. Sorry, Sammy. No, so I just want to recognize that you, you made it a, a nice summary of the, of the idea and its, and its potential shift a little bit into another direction. At some point, when you think it's appropriate, if not now, defer. Why is Harambam doing all? Why is he taking such a different? What is? What do you think? Or how, to what extent can you explain what, what he's? What's the bigger picture that he's trying to communicate by taking this approach with all these different concepts? So, okay, I think we need to fully develop right. the answer to that. I will already tell you, Sam is asking. Um, uh, why is it? In other words, we're, we're potentially, if we're doing a good job at this, we're presenting empirical evidence of something. But what's the underlying uh, reason for this? In other words, aside from, obviously, his belief, uh, I'm going to go with that, that this is true, but what was inspiring that, so to say? In other words, so why is it and how is it that he diverges from the standard traditional view of these sorts of matters, as we've discussed and you know, been nervous about on more than one occasion, and develops this sort of uh, a view? And I, again, it, I think it needs to be a full conversation. I think it takes more thought on my, uh, on my behalf. But I will already mention there is something, and, I, and I've made a point of, of mentioning this more than once, there's something refreshing at the same time. Because instead of envisioning our world and our religion and our relationship with God as one in which we are in many circumstances passive, almost robotic in nature, shower us with your blessings because we'll follow X, Y, and Z, it's much deeper than that. There's an onus of responsibility on human beings. And God turns to you and says, I want you to be like me with respect to not just mimicking my ways, but effectuating through mimicking my ways. I mean, that's a statement. That means that to, to stand for the ways of God, to stand for Siddhaqa Mishpat, to imbue the world with Kiddushah is our responsibility, not just a parent. I think there's very clear direction in that respect. Furthermore, and I just, uh, just again, without this, without this being fully developed and understood, I do think there's a purposeful direction in Harambam's thought and his general understanding of the Torah and mitzvot of the Torah as bringing us away from a pagan, idolatry type of practice wherein this sort of thought, this sort of uh, um, uh, uh, vision of the world in which there's the fatalistic uh, direction, it's just going to be a deterministic um, uh, approach. Uh, we 
we can read that even into the Egypt stories that we just read about in the Torah in several circumstances. And you'll see it in Sefer Devarim again. Uh, if the Torah is turning us away from that, so the Torah is very much focusing us in the opposite direction, in the eyes of Harambam. But again, half-baked answer, I owe you. Um, uh, so just in terms of uh, quickly um, concluding uh, past conversations, in order to, my objective in this, uh, I'm, I'm sure, although I'm not that knowledgeable, I'm sure if I was more knowledgeable, I'd be able to give you even more sourcing to make the point better, to clarify it even, even in a greater capacity with regards to the novelty over here and the, uh, call it the uh, standard approach. But at the very least, I wanted to bring to you one or two or three sources with regards to, call it last uh, 20th century thought with regards to these sorts of concepts. And I don't, I'm not even going outside of traditional thinkers to a certain extent. I want to talk about Rav Kook here in source number one. Meshe Chochma, we'll mention who he was in just a moment, source number two. And source number three, back to Rabbi Soloveitchik. These are all 20th century thinkers who are all, in their own way, addressing this sort of matter. Again, uh, it's a question of kiddushah. Is kiddushah something, again, I'm going to use that big word, is something antic, is it something ontological, is it something that has to do with an essence to a place, to a time as we're going to develop it further? Or is it alternatively, I think the word you'd probably use in fancy English is didactic. Is it something that's instructive or something alternatively that's, uh, that's, uh, that, that is, is responsibility with regards to what we do? Uh, so uh, in the first source, uh, this source is from Rav Kook. Now if you understand the thought of Rav Kook, which we've not fully, unfortunately, developed, but we have discussed him. Numerous classes may have made it into double digits with regards to our specific development of Rav Kutz, Cook's thought, thought, which takes a lot more than that and takes a lot more knowledge and capacity than I unfortunately have. But Rav Cook was very much influenced by the world of what we call Jewish mysticism. He wrote in a poetic nature, but he had a very um, a lofty perspective on Torah and mitzvot. His perspective was very much influenced by Gaon Mi Vilna, by Kabbalistic uh, directions and understandings of life and of Torah. And in turn, his appreciation of the land of Israel is not so much in the concrete, call it uh, 21st century SY direction. It's a beautiful land and it's great to be there. It was very much a passionate, mystical love and appreciation of the land. And in turn, in this first source, it's from this book of his called Shabbat Ha'aretz, in which he's talking about specific uh, characteristics and realities with regards to Shemitah. Shemitah, of course, is every seven years. There's a mitzvah, the Torah talks about it in more than one case, but of course, most notably in Parashat Behar, it talks about this uh, every seven years, uh, call it uh, this parasha as well, as Sammy points out, Parasha Mishpatim, uh, but I said most notably, um, but uh, Shemitah is every seven years. We'll just leave it simple, not get too rabbinic and detailed. Uh, you have to leave the land uh, without any work. Now, Rav Kook, living in the land in the earlier part of the 20th century, noticed a reality which is just as pronounced today, but it was very pronounced at that time as well. If Jewish farmers, whom we're hoping will develop the land, are indeed going to observe this mitzvah, they're going to have many hardships to the extent that they're either going to violate it or alternatively, they just won't be farmers any longer. In which case, we'll lose our stakes in the land, our ability to to settle the land, to develop the land, to fulfill what we see, what he saw, 
as a destiny-driven direction for our nation. And as a result, he got involved with uh, uh, being a, a, a major proponent of what's called Heter Mechira. Heter Mechira was, uh, was a novelty, uh, which was not developed specifically at his time, but it was put forth on a broader basis during his time with regards to the idea of selling the land or portions of land that were owned by Jews to non-Jews. The Arabs will buy the land from them and by so doing be mafkia, they'll uproot the Kiddushah from the land, similar to uh, Dare I say it, the sketch we do with selling hametz on Pesach, or many people do with selling hametz on Pesach. Now, he was, and is until today, a hotly debated on many issues, this one included, and by his contemporary, known by the acronym Ridvaz, he was a proponent of it, as, as was Chacham Ovadia Yosef, as is the Rabbanut Harashit until today. Sell, sell land yes, sell the land, and as a result, the produce which is brought forth from the working on the land, and according to some opinions, the Jew can even then go work the land, because it doesn't have that sanctity potentially, that can then be uh, enjoyed, right? Because it wasn't from Kiddushat to Aretz, it was owned by a non-Jew. Again, halachi comes... I don't know the answer, I don't, I'm not certain. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. Uh, we know about the difficulties with regards to Shemitah, it, with regards to Ma'asrot and then Terumot. I don't know, it's a good question. Uh, listen, he was posed with this, and this was the direction he went. Now, again, so this, this comment or this attack, light attack from Ridvaz, who came stronger at a certain point, was, wait a second, let me understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to maintain the sanctity of the land, keep the people there, work the land, involve yourself in the land, and so on and so forth, but effectively, in order to get there, you're uprooting sanctity from the land. Oh, come on, that's circular. Doesn't sound very logical. Doesn't sound like the greatest direction to go in. I you could say Shatadahaka Shane, but still, that's your direction. Says Rav Cook in a very uh, well-known response here in source number one, portions of which I uh, cited. He says, Ubemet Lokin Hadavar. He says, This matter is not as you understand it. Usvarazo inam, you said that Alpi Ikari Sodashel Torah. You're understanding that through our uh, inability or um, uh, unwillingness uh, to fulfill these mitzvot that were uprooting sanctity from the land? It's not so. He aligns himself in this context and appeals to a Gemara Masechet Chagiga, and he uses that as his metaphor. He says the Gemara likens, from a Pasuk that they're being Doresh, likens the idea of Eretz Israel being like the Torah itself. And how do you understand that? Well, the statement is, once we're exiled from the land, that's like we annulled or we weren't engaged in Torah. Says uh, Rav Kook, he says, well, wait a second, let me understand Torah. Talmud Torah, so he understands it. He says, Talmud Torah is not per se only studied in order to fulfill. There's a fulfillment of Talmud Torah when I do it in the abstract, in the theoretical domain. He appeals to the Gemara, which says that you just study the laws of, uh, of Korban Ola, it's as if you sacrificed it. You don't need to be sacrificing it. Just the abstract, theoretical vision and understanding is a fulfillment in and of itself. There's a greatness to that sometimes beyond the fulfillment but it certainly leads to fulfillment of mitzvot as well. But look at those within the domain, within this prism and realm known as Talmud Torah, as two separate perspectives. The limud al-minat la'asot and the limud kishel atzmo. So as Rav Kook, it's the same thing with regards to the land. He says it's true, by fulfilling the mitzvot, we imbue the land, we further the land's sanctity. 
Are you telling me that when we don't fulfill the mitzvot, when you don't study the Torah, when you don't fulfill the Torah, so to speak, well, then there is no Torah? Then the sanctity of the Torah was lost? Are you out of your mind, says Rav Kook? There's no such thought. The concept is foreign to say that if I study Torah, but I didn't fulfill and I can't fulfill, so then I didn't study Torah, some people will see that as the highest level of study. Call it Torah Lishma, perhaps, with the expressed purpose of studying Torah. So too, the land has an inherent sanctity. Listen to the words again. The land has an inherent sanctity. Those are not words in these classes we're accustomed to hearing. They're the words of the other camp, but they're the words of, again, very strong minds, and generally speaking, traditional minds. I'll just take a look here at the third paragraph as I broke it up. My type over there. He says, although the sanctity of the land does bring forth mitzvot for us, which in turn bring forth do you think that's the value, that's the level of greatness of the land of Israel? Are you going to suggest that by not fulfilling those mitzvot, we're impinging? On the sanctity of the land, we're ridding the sanctity of the land. It's not so. He says the Torah describes in Sefer Devarim Moshe's words that God's eyes are on this land from the beginning of the year until the end of the year. Only when you fulfill the mitzvot, that's a very rough cook type of vision with regards to A, the land, and B, Kedushah. Not a vision, not a description we're accustomed to. It is true if you recall, Rabbi Salvejic, for example, quoted from Biudah Levi, whom we read, from Ramban Nachmani, whom we read. But not Rambam's type of approach on this matter. Yes, Ricky, sir. Even if I buy that it has inherent Kedushah, does it really matter if we're not engaging with it? Like if Torah was just an unstudied, closed book and still maintains Kedushah, does it really matter that it maintained its Kedushah if we're not engaging in that? Uh, again, it's, uh, does it really matter? It tells you something about the essence of what Torah is and in turn about the land. Again, with regards to, I don't know, let's, let's envision it as a circumstance, an individual who's studying Torah not in a rebellious nature and then not fulfilling, but for one reason or another is deficient in his fulfillment. Are you then going to say, if he's rebellious and he's doing it, okay, we'll have one. are you going to say this person's Torah is, is, is a pasul Torah? How could you make such a claim? It's, it's in the, it, there's an essence in and of itself, is the suggestion. Yes, sir. But, you know, after the Seder Korban and, and Exile, the land is deficient in Kedushah or something. You have to say that it's lost its Kedushah. It's, it's if you want to say inherent qualities, because we defiled it, we did everything. Right. I, I hear your counterclaim. I, I do. And you know, and you can appeal even to certain realities and descriptions in that respect. Maybe Ralph Cook, I don't know what he would answer, um, but maybe he'd say something like, all right, a little bit, but not fully. And at the very least, when we're settled in it, so then that inherent nature comes out. But, but you're right. It has to, and, and in truth, Meshech Chochmah here in source number three, 
who is, and this also should be noted, it may have affected their perspectives. An exiled Jew, Meir Simcha Cohen Dvinsk, a contemporary to a certain extent of Rav Kook, but living in Dvinsk, whereas Rav Kook makes his way to the land of Israel. I've pointed this out in another context where Nitziv disagrees with Rav Kook about ideal study of Torah. Nitziv envisions the Gemara, which talks about Talmud Bavli as being the domain of darkness. He said, look at the beauty. When you're in darkness and there's light, it's so much clearer, you have greater focus. And Rav Kook says, what are you talking about? I mean, and keep in mind, Nitziv is, is his rabbi, but he's an exiled Jew who loved the land but lived in exile. So what are you talking about? Talmud Yerushalmi is tahazeh, come and look. Talmud Bavli is tashema, just listen. Seeing as opposed to listening, seeing, it's all exposed. Says Rav Kook, the greatest Torah is in the land of Israel. So it might be a bi- or biographical reality over here. But anyway, Meshe Chochmah as well was very much influenced by Harambam, by Maimonidean thought. He seems to be uh, fluent in the more. Meshe Chochmah is a very traditional, he wrote a book called Or Sameach as well. But his commentary to the Torah, brilliant as it is, and was introduced to me and this piece specifically, I remember it clearly by Rabbi Taller, who was my teacher for several years in high school. In this piece, he's describing in a homiletical fashion, he's describing the Torah when Moshe shatters the Luchot in Parashat Kitisa. So he tries to develop and understand what was the reality uh, that Moshe was trying to impress upon the people. So he describes it as follows. He says, listen, the Torah says that the people get nervous because Moshe is missing. He reads that as they understood Moshe as a holy person. And in turn, his missing means their holiness is lost. They need another holy something. Not too far-fetched in that description. As a result, Moshe's... What's that? Not as a messenger or like a They couldn't, his suggestion is they didn't even see him as a messenger and go between, because a messenger and go, or maybe a holy messenger and go between, right? In other words, because they'll then say about their Egel, it's not so much a time to go between. It is, this is the divine in real time. So as a result, his description is that even the Luhot, you couldn't find something any closer, quote, to the divine. Ma'aseh Elohimen. Right, they're made, crafted by God. It's it's by Elohim was, was crafting them. And those Moshe comes out and says, even this is not divine, and he shatters it. In the context of describing this sort of discussion, this back and forth, you know, to, to a certain extent, you know, Rav, Rav, Meshach Chokmah would say, take that, Rav Kook. Right, so he says, Moshe ki That's an expression you find in the Gemara, one or two places. That's how I specifically remembered this piece from Rabbi Tal. I remember he, him reading that, and he said, do you know what a kruchya is? He said, a kruchya is a stalk. Pay attention to the noises stalks make. Stalks make loud noise. I think that's the type of bird. Anyway, Moshe, this is an expression, he's screaming at the people. Ha'im tidamu ki, uh, ki ani inyan do you think I am some sort of reality of Kiddushah? I'm a person like you. There's no Torah which is contingent upon me. Even if I wasn't around, Torah would be existent. According to the rabbinic tradition, over the course of 38 years, where we don't find out about any prophecy, about any encounter and conversation between God and Moshe, it's because God wasn't speaking to him. Well, if Moshe was inherently godly, how was God not speaking to him? Says Moshe Chochmah, you see? There's no such thing as that inherently godly business. And Moshe was furthermore saying to them, don't in your mind say, Halila. 
Don't believe that the Mishkan and the Mikdash have an inherent ontological sanctity. Halila, meaning has shalom. That's an amazing line. Shemit barach shore betoch bana v'im hema ke'adam averu berit husar mehem kol kedusha v'hema ki'klehol ba'u peritzim ha'halua. If they don't fulfill his word, if they don't follow and, 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 and walk in line with his mandates, well, then there is no kedusha. And in truth, Abi, he brings from the Midrashim in this respect. He says the Gemara Masechet Gitin describes how Titus, Titus, the, uh, who enters into the Mikdash or in time of destruction, walks in with a harlot, with a zona into Kodesh HaKodashim. Wait a second, I thought he'll be struck to death. How is it possible that he walks in and sins in the uh, inherently sanctified and holy place? Says, says Meshach, that's what the Gemara tells us. Says Meshach, I'll tell you why. After time of sin, after abandonment of our, our responsibilities, so in turn, that sanctity was lost as well. There was and is no inherent sanctity. So much so, as I mentioned earlier, the Luhot, Mikhtav Elohim, Kamhemainam Kitoshim, Be'etzem, Be'etzem, inherently, in essence. Uh, that's not their mahut, so to speak. Rak bishvilchem, kashezanita kalabito hopata, hemanachavim, the nivle heres, the en bahem kedusha mitzadatsman, rak bishvilchem shatem shomerimot. Asof davar, en shumi anyan kadosh ba'olam yuhas loha avodava kenya, rakashemit barach shemo, hu kadosh mimsuyotoha mehuyevet, and so forth. There's no such thing as inherent sanctity aside from the divine. God himself. That's the claim, that's the statement of Meshe Chokmah, so to speak, in conversation with his contemporary, even though I don't know that they ever met each other. Maybe they were at a conference or two together, but uh, that's, that's uh, to, to a large extent how I envision that. Uh, lastly, I'm moving forward some decades to Rabbi Soloveitchik's words on this matter, uh, one of two that we'll have in the class today. In this third source from Book Divrei, Hashkafa, he writes, HaMekadesh Hu HaAdam. Many of the words won't be surprising to us. We've seen him say this, but first and foremost, the person or the being who brings forth Kiddushah is human beings. Hu HaKoveat Makom Beta Bechira, my typo. He determines the place of Beta Bechira, that's called Makom HaMikdash. Harambam, for example, has the laws of Beta Bechira, which are the laws of the Beta Mikdash. He determines, he's applying, he seems to be talking about our Moreh Nebuchim. Remember, he described how that was, Hu HaMekadeshet Klehasharet. He's the one as well, brings the sanctity to the utensils in the Mikdash. And furthermore, he'll be the one who determines the holidays, the Mikra'e Kodesh. And goes onward, and he describes several other circumstances with regards to the writing of the name of God with the proper intention, without the proper intention, and so forth. The statement, in short, is the second, the second to last line in the middle, Kedushah Meshameshet Rak Kegore, the concept of sanctity is a cause, he calls it only a cause, but I say it's primarily and refreshingly a cause for us to renew ourselves, to raise our spiritual development, to bring forth a sanctified individuality, which is, um, which is um, expressed with a full-fledged, ethical, complete state of being. A description, in short, of Rabbi Salvechik, so to speak, aligning himself with Meshech Chochmah, but in our words, with Harambam on this matter. Now, he did mention, and that'll be our segue, he mentioned the holidays. So the holidays, of course, are mentioned for 
Kedusha uh, brought forth by Am Yisrael. That one's not so hard. We, many of us are familiar with the Gemara on this page in source number five. The Gemara in source number five, the Gemara in Masechet Betzah, the Gemara uh, notices the difference in Berachot. On the one hand, we say Mekadesh HaShabbat on Shabbat. On the other hand, during the holiday, we say Mekadesh Yisrael VeHazemanim. Furthermore, when it's Shabbat and holiday, we say Mekadesh HaShabbat VeYisrael VeHazemanim. That's a funny thing. First and foremost, we don't mention Yisrael on a regular Shabbat. Secondly, on Shabbat, which is a holiday, we put Shabbat, then Yisrael, then the holidays. Explains the Gemara. Here's the difference. We determine the dates of the holidays. What do I mean by that? Our calendar. Once upon a time, the Sanhedrin or the Betin HaGadol were accepting witnesses and determining the first of month and so forth, and, and based on other calculations. In today's day and age, based on our calendar determinations. That's our determination. If we were to see it differently or to be, for one reason or another, determined that it needs to be different, it would be a different date for the holiday to the extent that you'd be fasting on a different date for Kippur. There's a well-known story between Rabbi Yoshua, uh, you know, in, in a circumstance of such, right? Uh, uh, many of them would be eating hametz on different days as opposed to matzah and so forth. That's determined by a Shabbat, the words of the Gemara are Kavi'ah, where are the words in the Gemara? Mekadesha vekayema. It's kadosh, and I'll use this word, static. It's in its place. What's the reference in the Gemara? Says Rashi, Misheshit bereshit. That's already there from the six days of creation. The pasuk we mentioned earlier in source number four. So that dichotomy or that split between Shabbat and holidays is a well-known one. Let me briefly bring you up to date. What we did over the course of, aside from introducing this class, is we talked about past classes, and we tried to color this further with different personalities and different perspectives with regards to what is Kedushah. Is it something inherent, or is it alternatively something that we do through our involvement, engaging with God's uh, you know, uh, development together with us, so to speak. And then we said, well, we want to talk about Kedushat HaZeman this week, and specifically Shabbat. Holidays is, I don't want to say it like this, but I will, easy. Easy to have a Maimonidean approach. The Gemara says, Amikadesh, Yisrael v'hazemanim. Why? Because Yisrael make the sanctity of the Zemanim. God sanctifies us, so to speak, and we then sanctify the holiday. Shabbat, however, the words of the Gemara, Shabbat has inherent sanctity. God did that. All right, come on, Harambam, let me see you contend with that one. How are you going to shift a perspective on a pasuk, on an explicit gemara, on a national consciousness that the seventh day of the week is the day set aside by God himself? So for that, I want to, together with you, read um, uh, from Helek Bet of the Moreh, Perek Lamed Aleph. This is where Harambam talks about to the best of my knowledge, at greatest length, Shabbat in the Moreh. Ulai kvar hitbare lecha hata'am, writes Harambam in his early words here in Perek Lamedalev, lehadgashat mitzvat ha-Shabbat. This is maybe, it's already clear to you, the reason that Shabbat is highlighted, dagesh, highlighted or stressed. In what way is it highlighted or stressed? There's a very severe penalty for a person who transgresses. They get put to death by stoning, which is seen as the highest level punishment. Adon HaNevi'im harag biglala. Who's Adon HaNevi'im? Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, the master of the prophets, killed because of it. He's referring to a story in the Torah. The Mikoshesh Etzim B'yom HaShabbat. He gets killed. Where else do you know of Moshe killing a person? One other case where there's someone who blasphemes. 
the Ish Misri, as well, okay, three places. Um, but each one of them, an interpretation of itself, but on a religious uh, basis, so we have the, uh, the, uh, the, the individual who curses, and the individual who's Mehalel Shabbat, that's a big deal. Means that by the word of God, as, he, as the Torah tells it, he kills two people in the desert. Uh, that means this is something severe. Velihiota in Harambam's vision, this is the third of a triangle of sorts or a three pronged high level matter. Shilishit limitsiuta el, ushlilata emuna bishterushuyot. One and two are the oneness, singularity of God, or excuse me, the existence of God. Number two is the singularity of God, no other gods, no other forces. Number three is Shabbat. Oh, that's. He says it's the shilishit, it's the third Shabbat, with regards to placing at the top of our religious consciousness, the following three are up there. Again, he's kind of just throwing this at us. Number one, existence of God. Number two, no two gods, no two forces. Number three, Shabbat. That's a, it's a startling statement, and he didn't really uh, uh, prove it per se, but that's, what, that's a statement. So he's, he's developing the fact that in his mind, or in our mind, Shabbat is very severe. Shekin, had he come up with this? He says, after all, to worship another goes against Yehud. He's referencing the last issue that he mentioned. Yodeata, mitoch devarai shedeot. No, This line or the earlier line? This last line. Yodeata? Okay, so here's how it goes. You know from my words. Where? From my words. That the that concepts, thoughts, ideas, they ought, which don't have a corresponding action which roots them, um, not only root them, they they bring forth knowledge, they make them more famous. They eternalize them in the congregation, in the sibur, they won't be uh, long-lasting. And the idea being, again, thoughts which are never articulated and never put into action are hard to continue. It's harder for human beings to continue a thought if it doesn't have a way of actualizing itself. So as a result, Harambam's seemingly suggesting that's the essence of Shabbat. The essence of Shabbat is that God is interested in some thought that we should have. And the way, so to speak, for him to get us to have that thought and to eternalize it and make it a part of your and mine and your uh, consciousness is Shabbat. That's a fascinating thing. You know, that's trying to do nothing, but more than that, focus, I guess, whatever. But one second. It's a description already of Shabbat, so to speak, being an excuse for coming to proper thought. That's interesting. Well, on the other days, we have to have proper action. I gotcha. What I'm saying is, if I quizzed initially, I said, what is it that makes Shabbat special? You say, it's a holy day. That's not what you described so far. He says there are holy thoughts to be had. There are proper thoughts and conceptions to be developed. How are you going to get there? Through this day. Now that's, that's what he seems to be describing. We'll understand the Chidush uh, Ha'olam, the fact that God brought forth the world. Stopping on the seventh day will hopefully make us reflect 
upon how these days came about. And in turn, by having all the people, and it seems to be saying this communally resting, it'll bring forth a certain consciousness and awareness. If you don't think on Shabbat, it's not holy. Not that it's not holy, it's that you're missing the point of the day. He hasn't addressed holiness. Okay. So Go ahead. Going back to the sentence that Avi was mm-hmm. going to slowly through. Please. Yodeata, we talk devarai. Devarai, yeah. Devarai. Deot. Right? Say that again. I know where you're going. You know that any ideas that don't have actions which root them... So now your question is, and I think that's what, I, I think that's what Abi was laughing at as well. I think that's what Abi was laughing at as well is that you go to Shabbat, which has no action. It's an interesting point. First and foremost, you have kiddush on Shabbat, but he's not even he's not even highlighting that there is an ironic. You're right. It's an ironic. It's an ironic spin. The statement was, you need action. Oh, I gave you Shabbat, a day on which, in his words, you rest. Which we understand, but he didn't need to say it per se so with action. I think he would want you to be some sort of creative to commemorate it, right. and you're doing the opposite right. by not creating anything. Right. There, so there is definitely an irony. There's a, there is a, there's a, the way he's presenting Yeah. Agreed. In other words, had he presented it without that introductory sentence, uh, it could have been exactly as I described it. The fact that introductory sentence is there is, is, is very instructive. Agreed. And I uh, sadly hadn't picked up on that before we now read it together. Okay. Uh, to, to, be, to, to be thought about further in terms of the thrust of his, of his will in writing in such a fashion. And as people are resting, again, resting, not doing work, yeah, he could have said it like that, but he didn't. And the last, so what's the reason we're doing this? The answer will be, the answer will be, six days God created heavens and earth. Uh, understood, understood. Again, uh, his words uh, notwithstanding, his concept also notwithstanding, what we can at the very least at this point, again, we have another paragraph to go, already step aside and, and, and analyze and realize as he hasn't described the day as a day which has a certain essence. He's described the day as a novel, creative way of an all-knowing <coughs> being known as God bringing forth to us proper thought. It's almost, uh, that's the way he thought it best or knows it best. It's not that the day has something to it per se. Then he continues. And before he continues, I'd like to, something that I'm sure we're all familiar with already, just call attention to sources 8 and 9 on the page in front of us. I don't even need to read them entirely, but I will tell you source number 8 is from this past week's Parashat, Parashat Yitro. That's Shemot Perekath. And source number 9 is from Devarim Pereket, Parashat Vayet Hanan. Source number eight is the Ten Commandments as described in Parashat Yitro, Sefer Shemot. And source number nine is the Ten Commandments as described in, again, Sefer Devarim, the words of Moshe, Elehad Devarim, Asher Deber Moshe. Now, many differences, of course, where many Zachor Veshamor, the difference between those two. But most significantly for us right now is the reason that God provided uh, for Shabbat, what, so to speak, the thought process. In Parashat Yitro this past week, we read, Ki, 
ששת ימים, עשה אדוני תשמעים את הארץ, את הים, את כל השבם, וינח ביום השביעי. There it is. The reason is so that you stop and remember and recall that God created the world over the course of six days, a very important theological realization, God's involvement bringing forth the world, and stopping on the seventh, that's the purpose for Shabbat. In turn, you'll make certain that your household are all resting. In source number nine, in Parashat Vayet Hanan, of course, it's Zechel Yitziat Mitzrayim. You'll remember God redeemed you from Egypt, and in turn, it's your responsibility to make certain that your slaves and your maidservants and anyone or everyone that works for you, associated with you, rests on this day. It's a, so to speak, an equalizing effect. It's a societal uh, direction that God uh, implants within us. But that's already very telling. It means that Shabbat, in the words of our Torah, has two very different, might come together somehow, but very different directions. One focuses us in God, and the other on us. Now, lest you think that this was mine or anyone in the last 900 years novelty, of course, even before that, Harambam is very keen on picking up on that right here, and in turn, not even implying, almost saying explicitly, what that teaches us about this day called Shabbat. Here it is. There are two reasons provided by the Torah for Shabbat. Because their conclusions are two altogether different ones. I assume In the first in the description of the first ten commandments and in this passage of Parasha, and so forth. Skipping a line. Bimishne Torah. Mishne Torah is a description of the rabbi's words for Sefer Devarim, Vizachata, Kiervitayita, Beret Simon, so on and so forth. I can't see the Khadunai Lachlazot Yom Shabbat. Vizenachon. I'm glad you gave us a stamp of approval, God. It's true. But what he means is what I'm about to say is true. The purpose of that first reason is to provide an explanation for us for the kiddushah, the sanctity, the inherent, my word now, sanctity and kavod, honor, dignity of the day. Pause again. It means that Harambam was well aware, as of course it's our Torah in Sefer Shemot, of this pasuk we had in source number four. And that was that God blessed, whatever that means, the sixth, seventh day, and sanctified it. That's what God makes us remember in the first set, or first description of the Ten Commandments. What does it say at the end? That's the inherent sanctity is creation of the heavens and earth, says God, seventh day, I implanted with a certain essence. Again, that essence is in turn to be derived by us and appreciated, but there is something inherent. But the fact that we need to observe it, not just what it is, but our responsibility, that's because we were slaves in Egypt. Sheba, and here's Harambam's novelty, Sheba lo shiratnu bebehiratenu. What's the affiliation? Again, the simple interpretation is you were slaves and as a result you know that it was difficult for you and you need the seventh day to be given off. He says, furthermore, he says, when you were in Egypt, you know that you didn't have self-expression. So you need to remember that on this day. And the way I'm going to have you remember that, and you weren't able to stop, the way you'll remember that I redeemed you from Egypt is by stopping and realizing that you are an independent person 
who was redeemed. We should have a combination of these two concepts. On the one hand, the essence of the day, the Kedushan, the Kabod of the day. On the other hand, our responsibility to realize, and again, and Harambam didn't spell this out explicitly, but furthermore, our responsibility to make certain that we're treating others properly. Our responsibility that we imbue the day with a certain nature and flavor and uh, govern it in the appropriate way. And so forth. So what Harambam sets forth, again, is not exactly as I'm describing it to you, but he does give us two divergent reasons. One is the inherent sanctity of the day, and the other one he calls it remembering, recalling Yitzhak Mitzrayim. I'm going a step further in my description because I think Haram Bam's leading us into it, and furthermore, nothing to do with the inherent sanctity of the day, more having to do with your understanding to apply that. He didn't say those words, but we did say those words. To apply what the day means, should mean to you as a human being. You should apply Kedusha on this day. You should apply the ability to treat others appropriately. You should be freeing slaves, not freeing, resting your slaves and your family members on this day. It's a day on which you realize you have a responsibility to act, not only to observe. Uh, to, to do, not only to realize. But again, that's coupled with the realization of God's redemption of us from so Egypt. what would you say if you were only Zakhor and not Shemot? If you only have Parashat Shemot, uh, Sefer Shemot as opposed to Sefer Devarim, you're, miss, you're, missing, you're missing part of the equation. And that's exactly the point. I'm saying, would you say there's, it doesn't have Kedushah? No, he's not describing it doesn't. It doesn't have the... Yes, you have not... <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. You have not fulfilled... Just like the Mishkan, if you have it, just like the Mikdash, when right, Titus right, right. enters, so to Shabbat, it sounds heretical, it sounds against the Gemara, again, Shabbat is not a fully sanctified day if you haven't lived up to that mission. And I will, I will imply this from a few other sources to get this point across. Haram Bamir in source number six, in Pere Kaftet of Hilchot Shabbat, this is in his Mishneh Torah, in Halakha Yod Chet, writes the following funny line, somewhat funny. Keshem shemekadishin b'lelei Shabbat umavdilin b'motzei Shabbat. The same way on Shabbat, at the entrance, say Kiddush, and the exit, you say Havdalah, that's derived from the following pasuk, Zachor et Yom HaShabbat lekadesho. So in sanctity, so too, he says both the holidays and Shabbat are the Shabbatot of God, and as a result, you have Kiddush and Havdalah on all of them. What are you talking about? They have nothing to do one with the other. Rambam is implying somehow they are related to one another. Well, that could be in several directions, but it seems clear to me that the holidays, the Gemara, you should be, is the derasha. Oh, that's the essence of the holidays. How is Shabbat in any way affiliated? Well, because you have the responsibility of being mekadesh them as well. To the extent that the Pesukim and Parashat... You don't do a full Kiddushat Shabbat, but you do something. You have a responsibility, even on Shabbat, to be mekadesh, to add to its sanctity, to bring forth the Maimonidean sanctity. Right, that, that's the suggestion here. Even though he didn't say it explicitly in our passage in the Moreh, what he did tell us is that the Sheshit Yamim is for the essence of the day. Then you have something else. Then you have your realization. Uh, the truth is that in Parashat Emor, it's Pesukim we're all familiar with. We read it on every holiday. Vaidaber al Moshe Lemor. 
Following are the, my holidays, which you will call out. Of course, we're expecting, and they'll come. Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Sheshet yamim te'asem melacha, ubeyom shvi shavat shabbatom mikra kodesh, kom lachalot ta'asu, shabbati la'adonai b'chol moshevot echem. What? In Torah ta'mu'adim, you started with Shabbat. How is Shabbat in any way related? Unless even Shabbat. And for Harambam, this is axiomatic. For Harambam, there's no way of envisioning this otherwise. You're going to tell me there's a passive day in which you just have an essence? No such thing. There is an essence. There is a kabod. There is a, a, a God on the, on the seventh day. Vaikadesh oto. Alken berach vaikadesh But you have a responsibility just like you have on the holidays. That sort of responsibility. To the extent that Ramban Nahmani, not really the source we're looking for or expecting in this context, it is, I once read an article by uh, Moshe Idel, it's in a book that's now in New Jersey, unfortunately, in which he talks about the Kabbalistic vision of Shabbat. If I remember correctly, specifically, he quotes from uh, Rabbi Moshe Cordevero, that's the author of Pardes Rimonim, among other books. As he says, for him, the day of Shabbat, he's building some sort of contrast, but development in the mystical world, the day of Shabbat is an inherently day, inherently sanctified day, imbued with full-fledged Kedushah, so to speak, a day on which we just observe and become absorbed by the sanctity of that day. We allow for it to come into our lives, not much that we do in terms of our responsibility. So Ramban Nachmani was very much influenced by that mystical uh, dimension and perspective on the world, and we've seen that in his writings in terms of the sanctity of the land, in terms of the sanctity of the language. When it comes to Shabbat, well, listen to his words and his commentary to this past week's parasha. They're well-known words for other reasons, but for our purposes, here it is in source number 11, He has a dirasha, he quotes from the rabbis on this word, Keep in mind, what do those words mean? You should remember or mention Shabbat. What's the Kadesho? Who's being Mekadesh? Who's? It sounds like we are. She nekadeshehu bezikaron ka'inyan. Wouldn't that be likdushato? I think that would be likdushato. He says it's ka'inyan v'kiddashtem et shenat ha'chamishim shana. He likens it to Yovel. The Torah tells us v'kiddashtem, you should sanctify the 50th year. Uh, we historically know, traditionally, that there was a responsibility for the Beit Din to count the years up until the 50th and to say about the 50th, this is a sanctified year. That's how Yovel was established. According to our tradition, they needed to, Sanhedrin needed to say about the 50th year, Mikudash, Mikudash. It says, Ramban Nachman, that's what happens on Shabbat. Each of us in our own homes enter the day with Kiddush. It's done during prayer, it's done with a glass of wine at home, a cup of wine. What you're doing is lending your own involvement, your man-made Kedushah, to a day which already has inherent Kedushah. As much as Shabbat was going to be this domain where you can't pull this again, Haram Bam, I think we have. He's admitted to the fact there is. There is a Vaikadeshehu. At the same time, there's responsibility. Truth is, this isn't my uh, discovery, nor uh, my reading per se of Harambam, I don't know about in the More, but Rabbi Salvechik in a, in a, a well-known, at least in my circles, uh, Yardside Shi'ur. He gave uh, Shi'urim every year on the, yeah, the day that his father passed away. And so in, in this book called Shi'urim Lezecher Abba Mari, 
Chelek uh, Bet, he has the following words. Again, it's a full developed piece, but just read it together with me. He says, Omnam in source number 10, Anu Omrim Batefila Mekadesh Shabbat. It's true, in the prayer we say Mekadesh Shabbat. Ve'enanu Mazkirin Yisrael. That's the Gemara in Betzah we read earlier. Mishum Shea Shabbat, Kedusha, Mimot Olam, Ayideh Kedusha Shea Kadosh Baruch there's no denying that. As much as Rabbi Salvechik told us, like that Maimonidean lens and perspective, we sanctify, the Torah says God sanctified Shabbat. I mean, there's something very significant. And Harambam told us it's on that tri, uh, tripod uh, vision of uh, you know, the, the, the essence of God, the existence of God, and the not two gods, and Shabbat. It's a day that has inherent holiness. Yisrael, were we to mention Yisrael, what the Gemara is telling you is if we mentioned Israel, we would say it's just like the holidays, entirely dependent upon ourselves. But there is an aspect of Shabbat, which is our own responsibility, our own injection. So to your question, Ricky, yes. Would Shabbat have a Kedusha? It has a Kedusha. Would it be a full-fledged Kedusha? It wouldn't be a full-fledged How do I quantify full-fledged? I don't know. But even in terms of this understanding... I'll go back to Rav Kook at the beginning of the class now. Remember Rav Kook and Kedushat Aaret for Rabbi Salvechik? For our reading of Harambam, it's the Kedushat Aaret of Rav Kook. There's an inherent sanctity which is. Our addition to that is through the mitzvot atiliyot ba'aret. It's much the same Shabbat according to this perspective. Shabbat has an inherent Kedushat, no questioning that. But there's still responsibility. Don't for a second assume that this just is. I'll just uh, drink the Kool-Aid of Shabbat and it will in turn fill me with. No, you have a responsibility. If you want to truly experience it, you want to be a part of this, if you want that sanctity to be born out of this day, well, you need to be mekadesh at yourself. So it's not conditional that we follow. It would have something. There's still a kiddushah to it. That because God was better. By kadesh et yom haShabbat, by kadeshehu, indeed. To summarize that, yes, Rick. When you say so, the when we say um, um, so you usually say that the lasot is for the weekday. But I always had the question: It's really for Shabbat. Maybe the action here. Is the la asot is the action of Shabbat, and then Hashem All right, all right, cute, interesting, interesting no, that's, perspective. That's more shot. Even mind they? Because the whole thing is talking about Shabbat, and then right after. Shabbat Elohim, God. but keep in mind, says Shabbat Elohim. But yeah, okay, interesting. Thing, so Ricky's addition, Ricky's addition is Shabbat Elohim la asot is oftentimes translated as what's the asiyah? It's the asiyah of the weekdays. What comes afterwards? He suggests, no, it's our responsibility on Shabbat itself. Yeah. Okay. Is Kiddush. So that's what I suggest. So that's what I suggested then in Harambam as well. When AB asked this initially, I said we do do a sanctity with regards to our Kiddush. It it, it, it theoretically reads nicely, but inside it doesn't because what he talks about, he doesn't mention Kiddush afterwards. All he talks about is the fact that we stain on that day and we think about it. But yes, in terms of in term in, in theory, that would interpret uh, you, know, you know his words or his concept at the very least. Yeah. Started this class with the concept of what Rav Kook was presenting. It was 
it was occurring to me that what we're also saying here is whether you take it from Rabbi Yudah or you take it from Amban, or you hear it a little bit in in Rakhuk, it, it may not. It doesn't have to be either or. There may be an element of both. Yes. What we conclude here is that Haram is willing, if you twist his arm, because he has no way out otherwise, to say, fine, but limited. And if it's going to be limited, if it's going to be at all, let it be time, not any object, any place, or any minute. Fantastic. Well said. So again, just to summarize, in a sentence or two, Sammy's point, which will summarize the class in, in a beautiful light, it means that we've then stepped into, with the development of Shabbat, maybe not in Harambam's general and widespread thought, but in terms of the way we can appreciate his thought, in terms of how we can apply these concepts of Kiddushah, it doesn't mean per se, strike out in your mind anything you've known about Mikdash, about Mishkan, what you feel about the land, about the language, but instead understand it as a, yes, there might be an inherent sanctity, but beyond that, a responsibility. It's what we're discussing in the context of Shabbat. It's what Rav Kook said in the context of Eretz Yisrael himself. So whereas the forceful words of Meshech Chochmah in reimagining re, re, re what happened with Moshe Rabbeinu might take it to a further extreme. Whereas the words of Rabbi Salvechik when he says Ha'adam hu ha'mekadesh might be as well a little extreme in nature in terms of perspective, in terms of appreciation. What Shabbat has given for us is at the very least some sort of middle ground with regards to appreciating a life in which we envision and accept God's involvement irrespective of our involvement, but at the same time, our responsibility to bring that to its fullest sanctity. In other words, were you to want to live life in its ideal fashion, it's not just allowing for it to develop, it's injecting your own, your own involvement. It's about getting involved in your own capacity to bring forth and advance that kedusha. That guy makes this, but the guy next door doesn't do anything, so to him there is no he doesn't bring it to the same point. So yes, he has something. His life in some way was changed. There's some define accordingly. Just by being on that day. But alternatively, I mean, look at him. Is he the same individual? Did he have the same experience? Without his own kiddush, without his own involvement, the statement is he didn't.